Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Oliver Jeffers' children's book, The Heart and the Bottle, we meet a little girl whose endless curiosity is fueled by her father. He goes outside with her at night and shows her all the constellations in the sky. He introduces her to the wonders of the sea. He reads her books about animals and plants and all kinds of adventures. And the girl delights in discovering new things. But one day, her father is gone. Where he used to sit and read to her, there is only an empty chair. The little girl's grief is overwhelming. She doesn't know how to handle it. And so, to escape her feelings of loss, she puts her heart in a safe place, a glass bottle, which she hangs around her neck. It's a good strategy at first, but in truth, nothing is the same. The girl forgets about the stars and stops taking notice of the sea. She doesn't take much notice of anything as she becomes less curious about the world and more distracted by the challenge of living with her heart in a bottle around her neck. We know from experience how disorienting and life-changing loss can be. We know what it's like to put our hearts in bottles, to repress our pain and sorrow so we can get on with life. But like the girl in the story, we also know how difficult that makes it to engage life fully. 
Even though Jesus kept telling his followers that his death was coming, they weren't ready for it when it finally happened. They could hardly stand to watch. The only ones who stayed to the bitter end were the women, the same women who show up first thing in the morning on Sunday to anoint Jesus' body with spices and perfumes. But when they arrived, the tomb was open and the body was gone. It made no sense. These women had stayed with Jesus until the end. They knew he was truly dead when his body was placed in that tomb. They felt all the pain and bitterness and grief For they had looked the tragedy of Jesus' death right in the eye. John Updike once wrote, Each day we wake slightly altered, and the person we were yesterday is dead. So why be afraid of death when death comes all the time? When the women came to the tomb early that morning, they were not afraid of death. They knew what to do with Jesus' body, how to use the spices and the perfumes to hide the smell. They wanted to give Jesus that final dignity. They came to the tomb looking for death, not life. The last thing they expected was to find the tomb empty, and yet there it was. The stone moved away, nothing inside except a few pieces of linen. So they ran back to tell the others that they had discovered something other than death at the tomb, something like the possibility of life, the resurrection life he had told them was coming. But the rest of the disciples, they had locked themselves away behind closed doors as they struggled to process this terrible loss When Jesus died, their hopes and expectations for the future had died as well. So they sealed them away, just like Jesus' body in the tomb. We know all about loss, a relationship that suddenly ends, an unexpected and devastating diagnosis, a natural or human-made disaster that defies explanation. It is understandable that we might be tempted to do everything we can to protect ourselves, to seal death and suffering away in a bottle or a tomb. When the women told the disciples what they'd seen at the tomb, the disciples dismiss it as an idle tale, That is a sanitized translation of a much stronger phrase. They dismiss the women's claims as hogwash, utter garbage, sheer lunacy. But something about the women's story gets under their skin. And Peter goes to see for himself. When he finds nothing there in the tomb but a few pieces of linen cloth, his heart stirs, his imagination is awakened. Standing at the empty tomb holding Jesus' grave clothes, he begins to imagine that in the midst of this terrible loss, 
new life can be found. Every instinct we have tells us this Easter story of Jesus' resurrection is nothing more than an idle tale, a ridiculous fantasy. But still, it gets under our skin. Isn't that why we're here? Haven't we come here today longing to find the living among the dead? Longing to hear a story that isn't just about something that happened to Jesus over 2,000 years ago, but something that might just be true for us, too? After 15 months traveling upstream along the Missouri River, Meriwether Lewis thought he had finally found what he was looking for, a water route that would connect the Pacific Ocean to the mighty Mississippi. From the spring that was the source of the Missouri, Lewis thought all he had to do was take his men on a walk up a gentle slope with their canoes on their backs, and then they could ride a downstream current all the way to the Pacific. Instead, when Lewis and his party crested the top of the slope, they discovered that everything everyone thought they knew about the geography of Western North America was completely and utterly wrong. Instead of a navigable river running to the Pacific, all they saw was miles and miles of snow-covered mountain peaks, what we now know as the Rocky Mountains. This was no Northwest Passage, no gently flowing water route to the Pacific. This was a range of mountains unlike anything they had ever seen. As one member of Lewis's party later said, these were the most terrible mountains I ever beheld. Todd Bolsinger writes that at that moment, everything that Meriwether Lewis assumed about his journey changed. He was planning on exploring the new world by boat. He was a river explorer. They planned on rowing. And they thought the hardest part was behind them. But in truth, everything they had accomplished was only a prelude to what was in front of them. Maybe Jesus was dead from Friday until Sunday morning, so his followers would have to accept, so that we would have to accept that everything that had happened up to that point, up to his death, was only a prelude to what would come next. In a few days' time, the disciples will see the risen Jesus, and the first thing he will do is show them his scars. The resurrected Jesus is not some kind of superhero for whom all the evidence of death and suffering has been wiped away. This is an utterly human Jesus whose body bears the scars of the crucifixion, teaching us that new life is not about erasing what has gone before. It's not about denying our suffering. It's not about focusing on the positive. It is not about covering up our scars. New life is what happens when we look loss in the eye and then find a way to move forward with our whole selves.
beautiful and broken, joyful and sorrowful, strong and shattered. As psychologists have learned, you cannot numb one emotion without numbing them all. You cannot bottle up a part of yourself and remain whole. Notice it is those who go to the tomb, who acknowledge the reality of Jesus' death, who do not deny their grief. It is those who have the courage to go there who receive the good news that where they have come looking only for death, new life can be found. Kenneth Feinberg is a lawyer who's made a reputation for himself administrating funds set aside to compensate victims of tragedy and misfortune. After 9-11, when Congress created a fund to compensate victims and survivors of the attacks, he called his senator, Ted Kennedy, and volunteered to administrate the fund as a public service. In a recent interview, Feinberg recalled some of his experiences meeting with over 950 victims or family members of victims of those attacks. The very first meeting was with a 24-year-old woman who had lost her husband. Sitting in his office, sobbing, she told him that she had two children, ages four and six, and that she needed her compensation money in 30 days. Why so quickly, Feinberg asked. My husband died and left me with our two children, she said, and I have terminal cancer. Ten weeks to live. My husband was supposed to survive me and take care of our children, but now they are going to be orphans. I need this money while I still have time to set up a trust and find a guardian. Feinberg pulled every string he could and got her the money so that she could ensure her children were loved and cared for after she was gone. That was the first conversation Feinberg had but there were hundreds more. Feinberg was asked by his interviewer how he got through them all. Well, you're a professional, he replied. You're asked by the President of the United States to do this. It's a patriotic duty. The interviewer replied, I know why you did it. I'm asking how. Well, Feinberg said, you better have a very loving family which I do, very great friends. You take breaks during the day. You go outside, and you walk around the block, and you watch little kids playing in a playground, laughing and happy. You buy an ice cream cone. You sit on a bench in the park and try and clear your head. And at night before you go to bed, you listen to classical music, to opera, the height of civilization, and try and compare that with the horrors of civilization that you're dealing with during the day. You get through it. Resurrection is the promise that if we don't deny the pain and suffering of loss, that can be the very place we find new life. 
Resurrection is not a one-time event that happened long ago. It's not just something we gather to commemorate or memorialize every Easter. We celebrate today because resurrection is still happening. The promise of new life where we only see death is not just a promise for them on that Easter day. It is for us on this Easter day and every day. This is the promise we celebrate in baptism when we proclaim that God loves us and claims us before we have any idea what that means. In baptism, we declare that every life will encounter surprising joys and unimaginable loss and that God is with us through them all and that the very places that appear to be defined by loss are the places God reveals something new. William Sloan Coffin once wrote that an Easter faith says we live in an Easter, not a Good Friday world. It says you can kill God's love, but you cannot keep it dead and buried. The girl from the book, The Heart and the Bottle, she grows into a woman trapped in the past, stuck in grief over the loss of her father. One day she encounters another girl, this one still young and filled with endless curiosity. And the woman remembers the child that she once was, And suddenly she realizes what she lost when she locked her heart away. So she tries everything she can to free her heart from the bottle. But after all this time, the bottle is impenetrable. It cannot be broken. For a moment, the woman thinks it's too late. Her heart cannot be freed until that little girl still curious and small, takes the bottle and puts her little hand through the narrow opening to remove the woman's heart and put it back in her chest. No matter what losses we have endured, no matter what suffering we have known, No matter how impenetrable the tombs we've built, how unbreakable the glass of our bottles, God will stop at nothing to roll away the stone, to unlock the door, to break the glass. God will stop at nothing to give us back our hearts, hearts capable of holding more sorrow and joy more pain and hope, more loss and life than we could ever imagine. Alleluia and amen.